more so than ever, I, I just really respect the subtle aspect changes, the subtle uh, elevation changes. Sometimes in order for change to happen, you have to go through a kind of a, a, an uncomfortable event. This is Ian Riddell with the Avalanche Hour podcast. You are tuned into another episode of the Avalanche Hour podcast, your source for great conversation within the snow and avalanche world. I'm your host, Caleb Merrill. The Avalanche Hour podcast is proudly presented by VEASAN Avalanche Control, safety through innovation, with additional support from 10 Barrel Brewing, Drink Beer Outside, and Interwest Insurance. The goal of this podcast is to create a stronger community through the sharing of stories, knowledge and news amongst people who have a curious fascination with avalanches. Well, happy spring, everybody. Maybe it's not so happy for some people. Well, don't worry. We're only nine months away from winter starting again. Anyhow... Hope you're out there finding plenty of dry, cold powder, and uh, hope you're staying safe. Today's episode features Ian Riddell. Ian is the Avalanche Mitigation Manager at Solitude Mountain Resort, and he's been at Solitude since 1994. I met Ian when I started ski patrolling there back in 2007, and he was a a big mentor of mine, Um, and we worked alongside each other there for for a while at Solitude and um, I learned a lot from Ian and I know you will too by listening to this interview. So without further ado, here we go with Ian Riddell. All right, good morning Ian, how you doing today? I am doing well. It's nice to be here. Yes, I'm very excited to have you on the show. It's been a long time coming. Ian's one of my first mentors in the snow and avalanche industry. Uh, I met Ian in 2007 when I started ski patrolling at Solitude Mountain Resort. And I stayed there for seven years and and worked under the tutelage of Ian for that whole time. Um, Ian, I was hoping you could introduce yourself, talk about where you're from, your background, and how you got to where you are today. Sounds good. Yeah. My name's Ian Riddell. I work at Solitude Mountain Resort uh, as the Avalanche Mitigation Manager. Uh, My background, uh, I grew up skiing in Vermont. Uh, My family was originally from New Zealand. And uh, but when I was seven years old, my family moved to the U.S. Uh, I have three three siblings as well. Two brothers and a sister. They moved to the U.S. And um, uh, after a couple moves, we ended up uh, being in Vermont, and that's where I learned to uh, to grow up. Uh, that's where I learned to ski. Um, Vermont gets a ton of snow, and uh, leaving New Zealand, we lived in a location that didn't have any snow. So as a kid growing up, uh, snow was a lot of fun to slide on, and uh, and that really was a, uh, a large impact on my life, recognizing that I enjoyed the snow. 
and uh, a lot of sledding in the hills there. And then that turned into skiing. So I grew up skiing there. After high school, I decided I want to work in the ski industry and really just keep skiing. So I, uh, I ended up saving up some money. I worked at a ski resort, Sugarbush, snowmaking for a season, saved up some money and uh, went to New Zealand, uh, where fortunately I was a dual citizen, so I could work down there no problem. And uh, I started chasing the endless winter uh, down in the South Island of New Zealand for about uh, four or five years. And uh, I ended up uh, doing some lift operations, lifty work down there and uh, came back to the U.S. and worked in Colorado and uh, went back to New Zealand and recognized that I really wanted to be on my skis more. So I started inquiring about ski patrolling. And after uh, working on an avalanche certification down there and getting a pre-hospital emergency care, I was able to join the, uh, the ski patrol um, down in Queenstown at a place called Cord at Peak. And, um, and once I did that, I just wanted to keep skiing and patrolling. So I went, uh, I worked at Heavenly Valley in Tahoe for a season patrolling, um, as well as, uh, uh, Crystal Mountain in Washington. And then, uh, when I was back in New Zealand doing another patrol winter down there, I met a, a gentleman, he's working on the cat crew that, uh, mentioned solitude in Utah. And I, I had kind of overlooked Utah a little bit, but I guess I saved the best for last in my opinion, because, uh, the following season, I, uh, I, I took a position on the Solitude Ski Patrol in Big Cottonwood Canyon, Utah, and uh, the rest is history for me. Um, been there since 90, 94, 95 was my first ski season in Utah. Right on. And so um, talk a little bit about what Solitude was like when when you first got there, you know, like uh, just how many skiers were coming to the resort and um, maybe reminisce a little bit about your first experiences doing avalanche control work and seeing some of that terrain for the first time. Yeah. So, uh, solitude mountain, um, you know, when I arrived was, was a, a very, um, uh, it's not a large, not a large mountain with not a large, with not a large crew. Um, there, there was definitely a local, a local flavor, a local feel at the resort, that made it real comfortable just to kind of uh, want to be here. And I had a, a very good snow season. The first season I was here, uh, we received over 500, 500 inches of snow. And there was all kinds of avalanche work going on. And the, the crew, the team had turned over. It was one of the years at Sawtooth that I think there was eight or nine rookies in my, in my rookie year here. And um and that would, would, that would be with a crew of about um, running about 14 to 16 full-timers. <clears throat> so half the crew was new. Fortunately for me, I had some experience in avalanche mitigation work uh, from Crystal Mountain and, and working in New Zealand. So I quickly went right into the um, avalanche, worked with the avalanche team, mitigating the avalanche hazard um, for, the, for, that, for that season, which was which was really good. It's a great way to learn a mountain when you're hiking the ridges and, and uh, looking at it through the eyes of uh, avalanche forecasting and an avalanche worker. Um, but it was just an incredible year because there wasn't, there was locals, but there really wasn't that many people skiing at solitude back in the day. It was very quiet, very sleepy. Um, and really, I just felt like the best job in the world where 
I'm getting paid to 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 do the avalanche work, which I love, as as well as uh, when we went doing that, we're we're skiing powder, and I I just really thought it doesn't get any better than that, and uh, that you know just was just an amazing first season in solitude, having such a um, a big snow year, and um, made me fall in love with the cottonwoods with uh, Big Cottonwood Canyon and uh, and this area. Talk a little bit about more about solitude, the terrain that you all have to open up and, and some of the characteristics of that terrain and, and some of the avalanche control techniques that are used there. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, uh, solitude mountain, um, got about 1200, 1200 acres, uh, of skiing here and with about 2000 vertical feet of lift access terrain. And then, uh, then we do have a couple hikes, uh, that one, one hike called fantasy Ridge, which gets you up another 500 feet above the lifts into an area called the honeycomb canyon and then we have another hike uh called evergreen peak which which gets you up another three or four uh, probably about 300 feet above uh um the trail the boot pack's about 300 feet and that and that gives you access to more avalanche terrain there our uh our bread and butter of the uh the avalanche mitigation is is running uh ridge routes uh hand charge routes we use two pound penalite charges uh, to mitigate the hazard. When I first got to solitude, they were also, uh, using an avalanche program. They had three launchers at the time, really only one or two were being in use that pretty much discontinued one. And then, uh, over the next couple of years, the avalanche program totally, uh, went away. It seemed like we found it more effective, more reliable results by running the ridge routes. Um, and then mid slope routes as well after the ridge routes come come through the train and uh and check our mid slope routes as well so there's uh there's eight lifts here serving about 82 named trails or runs or areas um, at solitude we also have uh relatively easy backcountry access uh, uh the backcountry is readily available through a piece of our train called the highway to heaven, which is a traverse, generally a traverse that takes you uh, from the top of the summit lift out to um, Twin Lakes Pass or the top of Grizzly Gulch. And uh, that was also a big part of what appealed to me as uh, coming to solitude as well, was just the uh, the access into the backcountry and, and work on my my own personal forecasting <clears throat> with, a, with a partner out there and, um, you know, be skiing the backcountry on my days off and learning about the backcountry and and uh, testing my own forecasting. So a lot of a lot of little nooks and crannies at Solitude, right? Like some amazing terrain up there. Uh, how many avalanche control routes do y'all have? Yeah, so that's a great way to describe Solitude. Lots of nooks and crannies for our for our twelve hundred acres. It's there's a lot of terrain packed into that. We don't have many big bowls, big open bowl skiing. A lot of it is more confined, narrow, shooty terrain. Uh, a lot of it's in the Alpine with eventually getting above Alpine, about above 10,000 feet. Uh, the top of that ridge hikes around 10,500 feet up on a honeycomb ridge line. But um, yeah, we have, we have about 18, 18 uh, mitigation routes that we run. We don't run them all the time. Um, but basically, you know, we, we've, we've broken it down to like <clears throat> primary and secondary routes. And, uh, 
you know, the primary routes where we're, we're opening all our lift access terrain, lift down terrain's primary. And then secondary would be areas, like I said, protecting that highway to heaven traverse, um, Honeycomb Canyon, uh, Evergreen Peak. And then, um, then we have uh, another piece of terrain called the Solbray, which is another a run that runs below Evergreen Peak. So sometimes it takes us uh, certainly more than more than a day, uh, potentially as quick as two days, or if not, uh, three days is pretty normal for us to make it through all our terrain based on the resources that we have, the amount of avalanche teams that we have that are trained up to run these routes and the size of our crew. So um, it takes a little bit of time and, you know, how we run things early season is a little bit different than how we run these routes once our terrain has been skier compacted. And, uh, and we're just kind of, we've transitioned from a deep snow instability with a persistent weak layer to more of a new snow instability. Uh, we, we can just move through our terrain that much quicker with the new snow instabilities than, than uh, worrying about uh, persistent weak layers or, or that deep, deep instability. So kind of transitions through the year. It's pretty common with most resorts. You know, we're, we, we typically go through a climax avalanche cycle um, once a year. We can get re repeaters on some of those slide paths, but we're basically have one climax cycle. Once we get through that, then we're really able to start rebuilding our snowpack um, and it's, it's more manageable. And uh, this year that happened in December. Uh, we received a lot of early season October snow. Um, then we received no snow. In, in November, essentially, to the first part of December. And then we just got clobbered uh, with about 130 inches over a couple of weeks. And that, uh, and that pushed us through a, uh, a, uh, a climax avalanche cycle that some of it was natural. Some of the biggest slides happened naturally in the Honeycomb Canyon specifically. And then, uh, but, you know, we also uh, released a lot of large slides with explosives as well. So, so we kind of, as a forecaster, break down the season kind of pre-climax avalanche cycle, full depth cycle to to uh, new snow and stability, and um, it's nice to make it through. And there's a transition point where you know we're getting the weakest paths have gone, or uh, areas have have already ripped out to the ground, and now we're and now we're we're wondering why we haven't pulled out other areas, and that that can be quite challenging as a forecaster and. Uh, um, trying to figure out why is this area gone and this area hasn't. So sometimes, depending on the year, that can take a long time to to work through that terrain and make sure that we feel comfortable with the uh, the results that we're we're getting. Right. I recall talking to you not so long ago, maybe sometime in January, and you said you were you know in a run of tw ten to twelve days of avalanche control in a row, and you you were plugging lots of shots in on the east face and. And not getting super consistent results, right? Like you, you, you mentioned, get, just getting one large avalanche and and kind of yeah, that's right, numerous small avalanches. But what what is your mindset like when when kind of moving into that new terrain uh, in an early season snowpack, more of a natural snowpack? Yeah, so you gotta you get for one, you gotta you gotta start with giving that terrain a lot of respect. Um, just because we carry the explosives, carry the shots, and have the ability to to put large chargers on slopes, um, it doesn't mean that we're in control. Uh, you got to respect the mountain environment that you're in. And, uh, and, you know, with time, 
more so than ever, I, I just really respect the subtle aspect changes, the subtle uh, elevation changes. Um, you know, what is what is the wind done here versus there? It could just it could be totally different just 100 feet away than what it is, you know, where you're at. And um, so just just the subtleties, you got to you got to you got to pay, you know, really close attention to the weather, which which, you know, all, all reputable. Uh, programs are doing, you know, we do our twice a day um, weather plot, weather data um, analysis and entry. And um, you got to stay in tune, particularly that time of year with just the smallest changes. So, so, you know, before we even step out on that slope, you got to ask yourself, you know, what the good things, you know, what do I expect is going to happen and, and why? And, and then if it doesn't, if you don't get the result you're looking for, you come back and ask yourself, well, why didn't I get that result? And I'm, and the next question would be, am I okay with that? Because just because you get a no result doesn't mean it's a bad thing. It gives you information. You can start making better decisions or, you know, you're getting educated by what's going on if you ask the right questions and you can move forward in a systematic method or way to keep proceeding forward. But uh, I did have a piece of snow that I did not witness that it ripped out to the ground this year. As far as I'm aware, it hasn't gone full depth. And it's a, uh, it's a northerly aspect aspect that is um, above 10,000 feet. And we've hit it really hard, but it's interesting because everything else that I anticipated to, to rip out this year, full depth has, but I've got this one piece that didn't, so it's, it's possible that it did pull out. I just didn't witness it. Um, when you get 130 inches of snow over, over a few days or a couple of weeks, it's, you know, it's easy to miss things. Things can reload. Um, and, uh, and you can kind of miss the fact that it's happened. So it's possible that it did, it did pull out, but I treated it as though it didn't. And, um, and we just took a real systematic conservative approach and, um, kept testing it. We we're fortunate we can test this slope from up above, hang some shots off a big cliff. Uh, once we got the no results there, then after a little bit of time, that's the other thing. You don't rush into these pieces of terrain either. You got to take your time uh, moving forward in areas that have higher consequence. So, you know, we, we've been testing it several times, hanging shots off this cliff to give it a good air blast. No results. And then at some point we went out with uh, some bamboo and some explosives on a piece of bamboo stick bombs and, um, and tested it that way and still didn't get a significant result. And we just didn't do that once. We started with just a two pounder. Then we moved that, changed that to a, uh, a four pounder. And then I think we used as much as a six pounder. And, but we did that over three different days. We just figured we let it rest, um, not push our luck and then come back to it. So I think if, I think, you know, as, as you're out there, if, if, if you're in the position where you're, you're making those decisions, you're on route, you know, you just got to ask yourself a lot of questions. Ask your route partner a lot of questions like, are you comfortable with our results that we're getting and, and have that discussion? Um, I think that's one of the biggest things with time doing this over the years is uh, you don't move too fast. Communicate effectively with your partner. And then keep keep checking in with yourself and, and making sure that as you move across, you're you're is it meeting what your expectations were um, or or are or or not? And then and then you know proceed from there. 
it's quite likely that this piece of snow has has pulled out, although none of us witnessed it. Um, but yeah, th those are some of the challenges that we deal with is when, <laughs> when you're getting certain results consistently that this one area is not. And uh, how, how are you going to, you know, make it operational? How, how are you going to proceed? And, and, um, and that can slow that can slow the progress of opening up a large piece of terrain, of course, uh, when you've had those things going on. But uh, the right thing to do, in my opinion, is take your time, think about it, and uh, make sure that you're not hanging it out, that you're not um, taking uh, undue risk. Um, it's a risky job that we do. I acknowledge that wholeheartedly. Um, there is a fair amount of, of risk. But, um, but we can approach that systematically and uh, try to reduce that risk. So first and foremost, your, your job description entails um, creating a safe skiing environment for the paying guests, um, as well as keeping your team safe. Um, but it's also to open, open terrain and get skiers on it. And so I'm just curious how you deal with um, some of the internal pressures that you probably put on yourself to to get terrain open in a timely manner. And, and then, you know, are there pressures from the, from the outside, whether it's skiing public or, or management, you know, like how, how do you deal with that on a daily basis or especially given an early season snowpack when you're having to um, rely on some patience to, to get some of that terrain open? Yeah. So, um, you know, we, we try not to put too much pressure on ourselves. Um, I try not to put too much pressure on my, my team. Uh, I try not to put too much pressure, uh, yeah, really on myself, but to be quite honest, um, it, it's not easy. Um, I do have my own expectations and my own pressures I put on myself. Fortunately, management, I don't feel pressure from management, although we are in the business of providing skiing to our guests. So it's there, but, um, but I am not being asked like, you need to have this open tomorrow. Why isn't it open? Um, you know, they, they do allow me to make the, the calls and, and uh, get the timing to fit our needs. So I, I don't feel like there's a management pressure, but at the same time, we're in the business of, having skiers enjoy our mountains. So there is, there is, there is some pressure there. Um, you know, the, we just, in order to get this, to get the job done, you know, uh, uh, with minimizing the risk, you know, we just, we just do the best we can with who we have. And that requires a lot of training. When we get into high pressures, we're training hard. We're training in avalanche rescue really hard. We're training in terrain identification, avalanche terrain, analysis and identification of our weak layers and our snow. Um, you know, we're going back to our study plots once a month and making sure that, that we're, we're following what's happening on a, on a larger scale, uh, metamorphic, uh, scale. And, um, but the, you know, at the end of the day, we do the best we can with who we have and we can only get so much done based on the level of, of, uh, experience. Um, proficiency and, and training uh, on our team. So it, it requires a lot of patience. I think, uh, I think I'm probably pretty hard on myself. Just, just my expectations. I'm, I'm pro terrain. I'm, I'm pro skiers. Uh, I'm, I want people out there as soon as we can in the respect of skier compaction and breaking down some of the weak layers that exist in the snowpack. Um, boy, if we can knock down some of those persistent weak layers, you know, get those, 
smash up the depth for early season. If we can, people are tagging some rocks. I'm okay with that. You know, it, 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 it pans out because we were not going to get big slides, but I think it helps with that. If we can break down some surface war layers, if we can uh, knock down those near surface facets before the next cycle hits skier compaction is a great tool for us in the avalanche business, getting train open. It's, it's uh, it really helps us out. Um, it's not always possible, but I'd like to get that terrain open as soon as, as soon as we can. Um, and that just depends on the hazard that we're experiencing. Some days is easier than others, uh, you know, consistent current or continual wind loading events, make it, make it really difficult. Uh, sometimes our guests don't see the fact that we've closed a whole piece of terrain just because we're getting these, uh, they don't see the cornices that are developing at the top that are that are growing six inches an hour or a foot an hour. And all it takes is somebody to walk along the ridge now and, and remotely trigger these things. You know, they don't, the public doesn't see a lot of why we have things closed, but um, that's, you know, that's okay. That's not their job. They're here just to go skiing. Um, so we have to make sure, I think as we manage terrain that we're, we're doing things for the right reasons. We're opening terrain, closing terrain for the right reasons. And, and it's unreasonable to justify everything that we're doing to everybody, but uh you know, I, I think I think my managers understand what we're up against, and um, and they're very supportive of, of how we manage terrain. But um, certainly, <laughs> our powder hungry guests aren't going to see everything that's going on, and uh, and nor you know, nor should they. It makes it makes sense. They're they're here for one thing. That's that's their that's their ski experience. Well, I have to imagine that you've seen a, a change in skier numbers at Solitude since your time there, and so um, how is that? has that changed the way that you're managing the terrain and um, you're able to dump a heck of a lot more skiers on some of that terrain now to get good skier compaction than maybe in, in the early days that you were at solitude. Hey. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Uh, in 2015, we got purchased by uh, deer Valley. Um, so that started, uh, they had a bigger marketing campaign, started driving more customers our way. And then 2018, we got purchased by Altera. And uh, there again, their marketing uh, machine and how they market is, you know, we're, we're part of a, a really big thing without Terra, uh, Icon Pass holders. And um, yeah, so that's, you know, you got you to gotta look at the positive uh, twist on thing. I mean, it's what we can do is we can open up terrain that needs to get compacted, um, needs to get skied. We got to say, say we're getting a big storm coming in uh or we're in the middle of a storm cycle but we feel comfortable with our work you know we we can go ahead and open up just one piece of avalanche terrain one 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 piece of terrain that could really benefit from some from some skier compaction and uh breaking down those 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 weak layers and skiing it in and we can focus the skier traffic into one area and they get the job done so so we're using the, the public as a tool in that respect, you know, and we can we can close that gate down. Say say we get the compaction we want after just three or four hours, we can shut that area down and then move open up another area and get this focused uh, skier compaction. So um, whereas before in the past, with with uh, previous to to the purchase in 2015, where our skier numbers were were a fair amount lower, we just we just still we wouldn't have been able to do something like that. So so I think. Uh, I think recognizing how the public can be a really good help us out too. And it's a win-win because it helps us out for overall slope stability. And they're, they're getting some great turns in on that, on that slope. So yeah, it's, um, it has changed and we're just adjusting to that. 
Sure. Ian, talk a little bit about the collaboration that goes on in the Wasatch. You've got a lot of entities there to share information with, be it uh, powder birds, heli skiing, lots of other ski areas in the Cottonwoods and in Park City, as well as the DOT program for the highways. So um, what sort of information do you, sharing do you have amongst those entities and, and how does that work? Yeah, we're really fortunate. We're a really tight-knit community here in the Wasatch. We've got different agencies working, like you mentioned, uh, guiding companies, uh, the DOT program. Um, we've got uh, a ton of ski resorts. So um, we've got a, and we've got a, a great, like almost middleman, but the, uh, the, the avalanche, uh, the avalanche center, Utah avalanche center has, has been super helpful as far as pulling all these entities aside, these different businesses and, and, and have set up a, in, information exchange um, that we can put the ski resorts, the guiding companies, DOT, we can all enter our, our weather day, our daily weather data twice, once in the morning, once in the evening. Um, and it's super helpful because there's also a, a comment section in there. So, uh, you know, Little Colorado Canyon, if they're shooting the road, they, they'll, they'll let us know what kind of results they were getting or if there was naturals overnight, um, things like that. Any it's a great way to share things that happen unexpectedly, um, like sharing those natural events that might kick in that, that, that weren't planned. Uh, so it, it, it allows us to leave a message in this comments box to all the other resorts, these guiding companies, everybody that's on there. It's like, Hey, just to let you guys know, we got something that was unexpected. This is the aspect elevation. This is the size, uh, this is the size of, of, of the event, um, that happened. We just got a, a D4, um, you know, that hit the road, for instance, you share something like that with us. Um, and it was a natural, you know, so, so it's just a great info exchange and we do it all season long and, um, it just, we can all stay in contact with each other and share, um, a problem layer that we're now, we're starting to get activated, uh, a persistent week layer that's, that's now gotten activated with the last storm, um, or, or, or just things like that. So I think we're really fortunate to have uh, an organization like the Avalanche Center that can uh, tie us all together and um, create a way that we can exchange information. But uh, it's really helpful. And, you know, it keeps us tighter knit as neighbors too. Um, the Wasatch, there's, there's a tremendous amount of people that are uh, backcountry skiing, recreating uh, in, in whatever fashion they like out there. And, um, and quite often we're collaborating. Uh, if, if something goes wrong in the backcountry, we're we're working. We we already have this rapport with our neighbor resorts, and um, and we can go in and 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 help facilitate these rescues too. So it, it builds relationships um, amongst the resorts, is and just shares information, gives us an avenue to share information. Is anybody using the the InfoX platform, or is this all internal to the uh, local Wasatch? Uh, there are, it's both. Uh, this, the one I'm speaking of uh, to the UAC is, is more just um, for the Wasatch, but there are uh, resorts certainly using the uh, the larger InfoX. Uh, I think mostly the the one at the, the Canadian InfoX um, platform that's out there right now as well. That comes with a lot of different features. Um, yeah, but the one I'm referring to is, uh, is, is more just the Was the Wasatch. Sure. Pretty, pretty key to share that information so that 
people aren't living in a glass jar, right? Yeah, you know, I mean, there's so much information out there uh, around, but it's, it's nice that when it gets funneled and streamlined and it's reliable information, you know, it's good information. It's coming from the right source. You can trust it. And I think that's, that, that's really helpful too. So Ian, you talked a bit about the access to the backcountry via Solitude's gates. And, and so really the whole Honeycomb Ridgeline um, borders, you know, readily accessible backcountry terrain. Um, any, anything going on, any issues that you, you've encountered with increasing backcountry user numbers um, with, with folks coming up to a ridgeline that, that borders your ski area and, and in an area that may be closed? Yeah, absolutely. We, we created some pretty significant challenges actually is there's a boundary top of Honeycomb Ridgeline that, that borders with Little Cottonwood Canyon. And um, it, to get up there, it's about a 500 foot elevation, 500 foot vert hike to get up there. So it's a little bit unreasonable for, for us to maintain a rope line on our boundary, but we do mark the boundary with some signs, but even so um, it seems like every year we get people tiptoeing or not tiptoeing, but getting just too close to the edge and uh, got a, unfortunately quite the history of people releasing some pretty significant cornices or remotely triggering a, a slope uh, down into our terrain. So, um, you know, the, the days that that's going to most likely happen are, are considerable to higher hazard. And there's a chance that the Honeycomb Canyon or most likely the Honeycomb Canyon or the East side's not open yet as we probably haven't had an opportunity to get up there and mitigate the avalanche hazard. Um, but there have been times where people have kicked down cornices, uh, which, you know, in train snow and just the cornice itself, as it comes down and breaks up can be very dangerous to our public below. And I've actually witnessed a, uh, one of our guests getting hit by cornice failure from a backcountry user that uh, unintentionally kicked down a cornice and uh, triggered a cornice. I, hopefully it wasn't intentional actually, but um, I hit one of our guests and just, just, just knocked him, <laughs> knocked him down the hill about 20 feet. Fortunately, they're okay, but, but uh, I was pretty surprised that they were okay. But yeah, there's some, there's some significant issues we have with that. We have another boundary too. That's quite challenging. It's the highway to highway to heaven terrain. It's a twin lakes pass. Uh, it's really easy access from little cottonwood coming up Grizzly Gulch to ski this, this, uh, this piece of uh, terrain in Big Cottonwood Canyon. But uh, it's, it's an area that's very difficult for us to mark our boundary uh, also because it's in a runout zone of many slide paths. Um, but there's low angle right on the valley floor. And uh, it's quite common for somebody to set a skin track that comes up into our runout zones. And, you know, it, it poses some some uh, some conflict because you got you got a route a team up there trying to do the mitigation work for our guests um, to ski this terrain or use the traverse out to the backcountry and then you've got backcountry users that are right below us in our runout zones um, so there are patrollers the team avalanche teams trying to do their job of knocking down these avalanches but yet you got public that's tough to reach and educate that are right down there below us. Um, but, you know, in that circumstance, we've had to change our tactics a little bit. We, uh, instead of just a two-man team up on the ridge or a two-person team running that route, we're sending a third as a spotter 
to go down to the Twin Lakes Pass area and um, make verbal contact with anybody that might be ski touring in that area, especially those that are just about to drop in, you know, try to catch them before they drop into this terrain that's in a runout zone. We don't want anybody to get buried or injured down there due to the work that we're doing. Um, we also, our team, it's not reasonable for our team to be up there for five hours on something that should take them an hour and a half just because they're waiting for the next ski tour to clear the area. So uh, we're really trying to look at some different avenues. And um, and that's one of the things we've done is put a patroller down there. We've also got maps down there at the pass too that actually shows where the, the area boundary is. Um, and um, we're actually in the process of reaching out to the guide service, educational services that operate in this area. Um, the forest service keep them in the loop too but basically trying to make uh get everybody on the same page as far as identifying where our boundary is because without having a physical boundary out there it's it's difficult for people to seem like to comprehend where it is exactly even though the maps are there uh, and there was some there was some misinformation on a map that was out too that was available to the public that's being corrected as well that, that does show this terrain being solitudes, whereas before it didn't show that the terrain was uh, within the area boundaries. So there's there's some challenges with, with, with having such easy, accessible and quality backcountry skiing just right next to the ski resort. And then some just uh, logistical uh, geographic challenges with trying to, to mark these boundaries. It's, it's not always possible or, or the amount of resources it would take to maintain such um is is just too much for the resources that we have you know employed so <laughs> so there's some challenges and uh you know we just want everybody to enjoy their experience out there and uh just spending just a a minute with them and explain why they shouldn't be in this area right now is, is really all it takes it's just a matter of just trying to get that message across to those folks sure so I would say that the intuition and wisdom that comes with avalanche forecasting is a culmination of your experiences. I was wondering if there are some experiences that kind of stick out in your mind as as formative ones within your career that maybe changed the way that you do something or, um, you know, helped you better understand your job and your mission for getting the ski area open. Yeah, so there's multiple experiences that have that made me look at how we do things. I, I, I think, uh, you know, you, you can have an amazing experience and, and you can walk away with, wow, that was just the best day. Then unfortunately you've got experiences that things didn't go right that day. And I think those are the most powerful ones that kind of stick with me as far as moving forward from a, from managing a program or even just on my personal experiences. Uh, you know, it's, it's when things don't go right, uh, there's a lot to learn. Uh, or at least reevaluate and um, and then ideally change how we're doing things to avoid it in the future. Um, you know, my, my first avalanche, significant avalanche I was caught in was, I'll never forget it. I was down in New Zealand. My, my, I was actually with my brother. Um, I was starting to get in the back country a little bit. I didn't, I didn't know a lot um, in hindsight at the time. I didn't, I didn't really understand the power of avalanches or everything that went into forecasting for them or avalanche conditions. And that's about 18 or 19 years old. And uh, my brother and I went out and uh, 
my brother was snowboarding and he, and he went down the slope. I kind of brought him up into this area that I've been skiing a bit. And I was like, Hey, we've had a big storm. This is good to go. Let's go check it out. And he went down and snowboard and uh, stopped in a safe spot at the bottom. At least what we, we didn't even talk about safe spots. We didn't have beacons on. Um, I think I had a shovel with me. I don't know if my brother did. So, you know, it was not definitely a novice (laughs) somewhere I shouldn't have been. And uh, I started skiing down the slope. I was uh, trying to figure out how to telemark ski at the time. And uh, I I took a tumble and then the whole slope ripped out. It was about three to four foot deep. And it was about, uh, oh, it was, it was probably three or 400 yards wide. And uh, I was able to, it was a hard slab. I was able to actually get up and start moving beneath a cliff about 20 feet away from me. And I beelined it for that. I got behind it. And then uh, I, then the, the slab just pulled out my feet and I was going down in a big slab. And I remember uh, going down, getting funneled through some terrain. And uh, one of my skis, I think ripped out of the one of my bindings ripped out of ski and then remember just kicking at my other uh, bale of my telemark binding to try to get rid of those skis because I just felt that ski was controlling where I was going. I was able to kick it off and I just started swimming. I mean, I hadn't, I hadn't seen any videos or anything, but I just started like rolling to the side that I thought was the side and kind of swimming. And I made it out to the left flank and um, this huge slide came down and uh my brother was on a high spot about 50 feet above kind of this, this valley floor down there. And all this, he was in a big powder cloud and all the, all the debris came to settle. And he's like now only about, uh, you know, well, the, the debris almost took him off his high spot that he was on, put it that way. Uh, and, but he, he did happen to be on a high point and he was all right. And um, we just kind of came away from there. It's like, Whoa, we almost, we almost died. <laughs> so that was, that was a very powerful experience. And after that, I ended up taking an avalanche course. I took a, uh, you know, I, I recognized I needed more education. I had no place being there. I ended up finding one of my skis and skied out there one ski and, and uh, tail between my legs and really humbled by the experience. So, um, you know, working at so many different resorts for me too, that there's, there's been fatalities of employees. I, I uh, worked at Heavenly Valley and, uh, uh, we used to get pulled up in the mornings to go ski a lift line to make sure there's no trees hanging on the lifts before they start the lifts. And, uh, you know, my, uh, the person that brought me up there, Ramara Thompson, she, uh, she never showed up at the bottom and, uh, you know, she, she had a snowmobile accident and, um, she passed away and that was pretty powerful solitude. My second season, we had a patroller. Um, we're up on an avalanche route, and and a patroller, uh, Jeff Brewer, went down on an avalanche, um, got caught in a slide, and um, and he passed away. So, you know, I think these brushes with death or 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 coworkers dying, it's very powerful, and you kind of look back and 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 try to find ways to. Ev- you know, you're, you're looking at ways that you can learn from this awful, tragic experience. And I think that's the best we can do. And I think through these, through these really negative or, 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 or you know, challenging experiences, you know, you got to find, you got to find a way that we can do it better next time or, or some things are unavoidable. There's, there's nothing we could do. Um, you know, 
but but sometimes there is and i think that's a challenge to myself you know and and, and whenever we have an in, an accident um somebody's caught in a slide we, we break it down and try to figure out well why that happened what can we do better this time um is there something we can implement and you know just because you're wearing the hat that's that you're the head avalanche manager or person in charge of the route doesn't mean it's not going to happen to you. And um, I got called an avalanche uh, about three years ago and uh, my partner got buried. Uh, it was a three man team. Uh, I, uh, I got caught, me and my partner got caught in slab. The third person of our team was able to exit off, off the slab. And um, I got sent down the slope. I had to deploy my airbag. And, uh, and I ended up on the surface a ways down. Uh, my my other partner that was next to me, um, he uh, he got stuffed into a tree and buried. And then our, our third team member uh, was able to uh, who uh, you know skied off the slab was able to uh, find uh, the buried patroller. And um, and that was a really powerful moment for me because one, I'm in charge of the program and yet this could still happen to me happen to my team you know it was more about what happened to my team that I had, a, I had a kind of a challenging time with it for a while um but i allowed this to happen to them which uh pretty hard on myself about uh, fortunately uh it was a blown acl and the injury of my my partner that got buried my teammate and um he's made a recovery physically but mentally you know I, there's there's at least scars when you uh, get caught in these slides or uh, close calls with death, um, and uh, and those that are around that respond to those of us that have been caught, it also can be quite demanding and and uh, can leave scars with them too, uh, you know. But I think I think it just it, it allows you to hit the reset. Like, why did this happen? Is there anything we could have done about it? Is there a way to avoid this in the future? Uh, this avalanche I was caught in last uh, last time, just three years ago. You know, we we did do something different. We we're able to set up a, a tram system that allows us to um, send a shot down into this into this terrain feature. It's uh, it's at the bottom of a big cliff band that loads a little bit differently than some other areas on the mountain. It's also got a series of about three gullies that gets cross loaded. Um, so we've been able to set up a new tram system from up above. So when our ridge route performs mitigation in this area, they'll, they'll drop one of their team members down to after the protections in from up above to go mid slope and set up this, uh, this tram system that'll, uh, send a shot down on a, on a cable down the fall line, down and across the fall line to go affect this area. And it's been working very well and we haven't had any, uh, any, unattended slides um in this area since it's it's working very well and you know sometimes in order for change to happen you have to go through a kind of a uh, an uncomfortable event uh a, a potential potentially a deadly event or, or life-threatening and um but i i think i think we just have to look at ways that we can do better um when these things happen but you know i think Personally, whenever whenever things don't go as intended, um, particularly when there's been significant injury or loss of life, it really it's really tragic. But it allows us that opportunity to to look at how we do everything, keep reevaluating, 
what what you do on a regular basis. Even when it's going great, reevaluate how you how you're doing things to see if there's new technology. Um, and there is new technologies out there. In fact, we're looking at some some racks at Solitude now to to kind of um, assist us with reducing the hazard of our team in a in a specific location that we that we would like to see that. So so things change even 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 though maybe your program's working great, um, you know, it's still healthy to reevaluate and be open-minded, listen to others. Uh, if they, you know, listen to your team ideas, try to create that atmosphere of uh, everybody's opinion counts. Um, you know, the decision still comes back to whoever's managing, but, you know, I, I think we realize the value of other opinions and, um, and sometimes seeing, how we're doing things through a, a fresh set of eyes can be super helpful. And so in that incident, it was a, it was a mid slope route. Yeah. Like, um, it was, yep, that's correct. It was a mid slope route. It was after a big, I think we had picked up 60 inches of snow in a short amount of time. Um, pretty much everything had been cleaned out from up above. We hadn't seen any significant avalanches on the mid slope route. We hadn't seen any significant avalanches. Uh, we hadn't gotten any avalanches on this mid slope route. But once we changed this aspect and location, um, basically this pocket hadn't been affected by any of the slab avalanches coming down from up above. It was protected. <clears throat> and, uh, and, you know, it was going through a recent, it was, it was getting cross-loaded within the 12-hour the period of us being up there. We couldn't see this in other locations because of the aspect, but we recognized after the fact that it had been, uh, been getting cross-loaded all morning by a wind event that was going on that was just affecting this piece of terrain. So um, it's easy to get complacent, I think, uh, at times, if, you, if you're not getting the results that you're looking for or, or you recognize that, hey, this is just wall-to-wall debris, there's nothing going on, it can kind of set you up to get in trouble mentally because you got to constantly just keep reevaluating what you're doing and, and uh, making sure you're paying attention. You know, I don't think solitude's alone in, in the fact that um, people resources are often on shorthand, right? Like uh, you guys run a fairly small crew given the amount of terrain that you need to manage. Um, what are some of your strategies for, for keeping folks on the patrol fresh and rested? And I mean, that I think it's probably changed a bit since, since I was there, but I remember, you know, it wouldn't be uncommon to work at least control routes for a couple of weeks straight. You might have an afternoon off, um, but I I just remember days of or weeks of of many days of control in a row. And and I'm just curious if if things have changed a bit in that way, just to manage fatigue and and keep people's decision making fatigue down. Yeah, you know, um, it's, a, it's really. It's a real challenge um, to keep people fresh. Um, you know, it's it's a very demanding thing that we do doing the avalanche mitigation work, especially if you have a small team, smaller team with with not a ton of experience. Um, you know, there's there is a cycle going on where people get burned out. So people that have experience leave, and then you have inexperience coming up through that take a while to train. Um, before they can be in the field. Everybody wants to be in the field like yesterday, get out there running routes. But, you know, we, we, we definitely explain that and, and teach that, you know, it's, it's a process. 
Um, so some things that are going on right now um, to deal with that is we don't ask people to come in on their days off and run mitigation, run, run routes. Um, you know, it's possible. We say you're always on call, but like we, we rarely call anybody on a day off to come in and do work. We really know that our guys need to rest up on their days off. So those days of just getting that call and you're working every day and your days off and everything, um, those are gone. Um, so we're, we're making sure our guys have at least one day off, likely two days off. I, I think as a line patroller, I haven't had guys coming in on both their days off and, or even on a single day off in, in, in a couple of years or a few years now. So we're trying to reduce that workload uh, on them. And that means hiring more. We have, we have more patrol. That means we've had to hire more patrollers. We've got more patrol on, on, on staff now. And, um, and that's super helpful because uh, as it does minimize the fatigue going on there. Something else that's in place too is um, if you do have to work those long hours, there's, uh, there's been a change with our overtime. That also gives them, I think, a bit more fair compensation for, for their time at work. Not that it means that, they may not, that they're not going to come in or work long days because, you know, you still work your five days a week, but they're 12 hour days or 10 hour days. You're still racking up some serious hours there, but, uh, but they are getting compensated uh, better now for that, for their overtime work as well. Um, and I think where I'm another thing that we've had to do is just not open up terrain too. We're going to just back off terrain until we feel like we have the experience we need to be on route um, I'm not gonna, we do the best we can with who we have, but it doesn't mean that it's okay to throw just anybody on a mitigation route and run routes, uh, on patrol you still need to, to work your way, uh, through your, your, your partner rescue training, make sure you pass off on that. And, uh, and some other criteria that we have as well. <clears throat> so we just basically, we just, we'll just have to sit on terrain for an extra day. Um, and that's, that's a very fair and reasonable way to manage what we're doing too. But increasing the amount of patrol we have, providing guys with their days off, um, and and then you know, thirdly, if we just need to uh, wait, then then those are those are three main things that that we've implemented that uh, seem to be helping. Right on. In reflection of of my experience at, at Solitude and kind of the early days within my career, you know. It, I think it was absolutely invaluable to see so much snow moving through all the mitigation work that, that I was able to do there um, just to better understand fracture mechanics and, and how avalanches slab avalanches in particular release. Um, however, I, I feel like I, I've, I struggled a little bit when I transitioned into doing more backcountry skiing um, as I felt like I had better control over, you know, I was very comfortable ski cutting in the ski area and I'd seen a lot of snow moving. I, had, I actually found myself having to kind of take a step back when I started doing more recreational backcountry skiing um, because I almost felt a little bit too comfortable um, seeing so much snow move. Does that ring true with you at all throughout your career? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, at the ski resort, um, you know, we're, we're on, we're, we're working the same terrain every cycle. We get to know it very well. Even when it's not snowing, we're, we're recreating, we're, we're skiing that we're seeing how it's feeling. 
So, you know, there is certainly a lot of confidence that we get at the resort because it's our stomping ground and we're going through it daily. Um, when you move into a backcountry setting um, with that much confidence, yeah, I hear what you're saying. Sometimes you go into that backcountry with that the same confidence or you don't, you know, feel like you might have the same terrain knowledge um, because it's it's just a couple drainages over or wherever you might be, or I feel comfortable to kick out a, you know, a slab avalanche right now. Cause that's what I do at work. You know, I, I, I think it makes sense to back off, recognize the environment that you're in. They're going to respecting the environment that we're in asking yourself some hard questions, be honest. Like, um, have I been tracking this slope for the last, however long, you know, do I, how well really do I know this? I know the area, but do I know the history of what's going on in the snowpack right now? Um, you know, I think, well, it reminds me of a day that you and I had in the back country. I think, um, to some extent we're coming, we're coming off of summer and it's, it's fall and we're jonesing to get out and we're working together. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're the avalanche team, Caleb and I, and, uh, and we're like, uh, the ski resort's not open. We just, we know there's October facets on the ground and we're like, it just snowed three or four or five feet. I don't remember, but we know like it's padded out there and we actually want to go and, you know, tickle some avalanches, kick, kick some stuff down. That's, that's okay. That's all part of our plan to go and, and go and go have an exciting day. <clears throat> and then my wife says, Hey, I want to go ski touring too. Can I join you guys? And of course we're going to say yes, but you know, something that didn't happen is a discussion with her about kind of our mentality, I think, is, is avalanche professionals, our, our, our tolerance, our risk tolerance, um, you know, it was quite a bit different than my wife's. And we ended up starting a lot of avalanches that day, not necessarily intentionally. Um, and then I remember one in particular that, uh, that you triggered. I think it had been about a half a mile wide, about four feet deep, took out this whole bowl. My wife and I had already skied down on a, on a low angle subridge um, that we felt comfortable with after kicking out two or three smaller slides, getting there <clears throat> through the terrain and um, coming over to me. And I'm like, oh, that was a good one, Caleb. <laughs> Sweet. Man, that whole bowl went. And uh and I look over at my wife and she is petrified and just think like we're nuts and that we're all lucky to be alive. And, you know, I think she was right. And I think we can be too comfortable going out there early season, even though we know we might be kicking out slides. Is that really what we should be doing? Should we, should we really be pushing that now myself being a, uh, a dad, I wasn't a father at the time, you know, I don't think that's such a good idea, but, um, I think my risk tolerance is different. And, and I think it was unfair for me not to let my wife know what, what she might be in for that day. And she, uh, she'll never forget that day. And, uh, I do think it's an example of being really comfortable in a certain area and then stepping outside, even though we knew we're going to kick out some avalanches that day or had a strong feelings that we would, um, you know, 
we didn't really know the size or the width or maybe the potential repercussions if it went wrong that day. And um, so I take that as a big learning point. I think part of my maturity as a, as a human being and avalanche worker, you know, there it goes. It's one of those experiences that worked out well, but it could have easily gone the other direction and we could have uh, had some significant tragedy instead. So uh, I, I just, I just think with time, just respect the environment that you're in and, and back off, you know, and I think, I think going from a ski patrol mentality where we're working at a ski resort, trying to get train open, you know, we're, we're not really looking for avoidance and avalanches. We're looking for encounters. We're trying to create avalanches and we get really comfortable doing that versus maybe a guiding world or just a recreationalist backcountry world. I mean, most other people are avoidance. Let's not, let's stay away from where that's happening. Let's try to find the low angle terrain. Let's let's try to find some shelter terrain. Let's, let's, let's avoid it. And it's, I think maybe it's challenging to move from a, uh, let's engage in the avalanche. Although granted we're using different tools at the ski resort to like, let's avoid the avalanche. So it's, it's um, certainly things got to be taken within perspective uh, of the setting, the intention uh, the environment and um, certainly cannot go out in the back country with a, with a uh, kind of an aggressive engagement mentality for avalanches. Um, I, I really, you're asking for trouble. <laughs> you yeah. Do. It's a pretty reasonable concept yeah. to avoid avalanches. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. It is. Well, that, that was a good reflection on that experience, Ian. And, and I would just say that I, you know, I, I, I'm glad we had that experience. And, and I think same, like if, if I was back in that area again, in the same conditions, I probably would employ a little bit bigger margin these days. Um, but definitely a memorable day that I'll never forget. That was, that was, uh, exciting out there. Yeah. Yes, it was. Um, well, Ian, I really appreciate your time today, sitting down, um, chatting with us on the Avalanche Hour podcast. I appreciate your mentorship over the years, um, and you know, I th- I think uh, ski patrolling at Solitude has been one of the best jobs that I've ever had. And I think about it often. I I think about uh, early mornings hiking up Fantasy Ridge and and doing control work up there as as uh, you know some of the greatest times of my life. So. Uh, you're very lucky to still be there and be running a great program and um, hope to ski with you soon. Well, thanks for having me today. I appreciate being on the program and certainly speaking with you and reminiscing. And uh, yeah, I, uh, I, I've really enjoyed our, our experiences together here at the resort as well. And, um, and all the best to you. And, and uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. Cheers, Ian. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in today. I'd like to also thank our sponsors of the podcast, VEASAN Avalanche Control, 10 Barrel Brewing, and Interwest Insurance. We really couldn't do it without y'all. Don't forget to follow us on the social media. We are on Instagram and Facebook, and we are at the Avalanche Hour Podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on whatever platform you're listening to it on. Don't forget to tell a friend. Music on today's episode was performed 
produced, written by Ketza. You can find more of their tracks at ketza.uk. Thanks for the artwork, Mike T. You the man. Check out more of his work at www.miketea.com. You can tune in to our next episode on April 1st. Until then, stay tuned, stay safe, and keep having fun out there. See ya.